But I think for us, that's been the pain point is like, you have to really sell people on the unit economics as well as the potential to scale in a way where it's like, you could make a product that makes all the difference in the world. We could save people that billion dollars a year in terms of Americans' losses in betting. And I don't know that that actually makes the math make sense for like a, a really big VC looking for that supersized exit. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 101 with Chris Spagnuolo from Probably, which helps bettors win more and lose less. In this one, Chris talks with guest host Benji Cherniak about his past experience building content and betting tools for companies such as Barstool and Stochastic, how Probably is using data to help people make educated bets in the simplified mobile user experience, and his journey towards finding product market fit for Probably. This was another fantastic episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five US operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast, and we're going to start this one with a little programming update here as we enter the month of February. As I've casually alluded to in the last few episodes, Mrs. Betting Startups and myself are expecting the arrival of Baby Learmont shortly, so I'll be taking a little bit of time off to help the three of us get settled in here at home. In the meantime, though, we want to keep things rolling with the pod. So I'm extremely happy to welcome back our friend Benji Cherniak to the podcast, who has graciously agreed to do what is the podcast equivalent of a Vegas residency, I think, Benji, hosting three episodes for this month. I don't think we've properly caught up, though, since G2E a few months ago. So let's just start with a quick check in with yourself before we tee up this episode. Yeah, man. Listen, I mean, congrats to you and the missus. Exciting times for sure. And uh, yeah, everything's well on my end. Has it been that long since we've spoken? I guess time flies pretty quickly, but it, does. it was a great end to the year post G to E, a sprint to the finish line and all hands on deck for uh, a big 2024 moving forward. Awesome. Well, in this episode, you caught up with Chris from Probably, who are doing some interesting stuff in, in, you know, something of a crowded space. And I thought this was an interesting one in the sense, you know, Chris has uh, some background within the space. He's been involved with successful companies and projects before. So if you can give the audience just a quick preview of what they're about to hear in this conversation. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting points. I think you just hit on it. It's like Chris has been in the space for a little while and has done some interesting things and worked for some interesting companies. And on the side was kind of thinking alongside in terms of his own project and you know, circumstances dictated that that timeline got accelerated and, and here he is in the midst of it. And, you know, he's a fighter making things happen. But I think that the interesting thing is that having come from the industry and seeing himself where some of the voids are from a, a product and an app standpoint and a content standpoint, he's bringing some of that passion and vision into the product. And I think that it'll be an interesting journey forward for him accordingly. So really enjoyed uh, getting to spend some time with him. Yeah, it was it was another fantastic one, Benji. Uh, I enjoyed hearing Chris's story. So thanks for stepping in for this one. And with that, let's get into your discussion with Chris from Probably. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the uh, Betting Startups podcast. This is Benji Cherniak sitting in once again for Jesse. I'm here with Chris Spagnolo from the company Probably. Chris, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you for having me on. I heard that Jesse's going to be out doing father things, having to be a dad. So that's something I'm familiar with over the last two years, including today. Uh, Benji, we had a snow day here. So we have a two-year-old just running around the house, ruining calls throughout the day. So it's been a lot of fun, but very glad to be here. Very excited to be on this illustrious podcast. Well, Jesse, if you're listening to that, you now have something to look forward to. So moving aside from that, Chris, before we get into all of your joys of fatherhood, would love to hear a bit about your journey a fair bit about your company. I'm excited to talk about you, with you about your company today because you and I have had some conversations in the past and I know you have a lot going on. So maybe just as a starting point before we jump into too much about probably itself, maybe a bit about your background and a bit of the things that you've done here in the space because you're an entrepreneur in our space, but you have a history of working in our space as well. So I'd love to hear a bit about that for our audience. Yeah, so I basically started my career in public relations. You had some great jobs there. Worked in WWE, Bankrate.com, an agency as well that had men's health, some other clients, and kind of realized throughout that process that public relations was not for me, obviously a changing industry as well. Uh, so I ended up launching my first startup, a site called Gaiaism, which now is a, a relic of the late 2010s internet, basically best known for having Katie Nolan, formerly of ESPN, Fox Sports, found her first and helped her get out there. And now she's made um, untold millions more dollars than I will ever make in my career. But you know, definitely nice to have that success as part of that. We also were acquired by uh, the company that's now UpRocks, and unfortunately, that did not have the best financial gains for me. So, of course, we're back on the entrepreneurial grind within the space. I was at Barstool. That's probably my biggest success in terms of the being in the space, helping something move from being a sort of regionalized sports blog to being a national powerhouse. And at Barstool is where I sort of, I had, I'd gambled in the past, in particular in college, had some success. Of course, I don't know, we could talk about it on here if we we're supposed to, but some offshore betting did that in college, then kind of backed away because learned that probably minus EV to continue chasing seven leg parlays like I was in college. And then when I was at Barstool, I was kind of back in that universe again, where I was kind of the adult in the room from having publishing experience, having had a site that I'd gotten acquired and made revenue and all of that. But at Barstool kind of saw firsthand guys like, you know, Dave Portnoy, Big Cat, Dan Katz over there, like really smart content guys who also were just not good bettors. But that kind of became part of the content is that they're not good at betting. People like going along that journey with them. And I think in a lot of respects, Barstool was sort of very I'm informative of what the industry would become over you know this time period that we're still in right now. But after that, went to a site called Stochastic. Now was then at Osmo, founded by a team of top daily fantasy sports players. And you know, basically for them, I provided the editorial guidance. They gave me a lot of the perspective on how to be a profitable, you know, daily fantasy sports player in particular, but also sports better, how to understand that, how to read that data, how to actually get results for myself. You know, you guys can't see this where you're listening to the podcast, but this house that I'm in right now is paid for off of DFS winnings, or you know, a large portion of it paid off of DFS winnings. So that was something where, for me, you know, became a really important part of my job to help to give people that same success, but also find it for myself and have those kind of bona fides. And from there, I went to a company owned Football Outsiders, a site that you guys might have heard about in the media that ran into some tough times. And thankfully, not due to anything that I did where we had our best traffic year, had our best revenue year, but they kind of got caught in that in-between period that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, over the course of this hour or half hour. But like basically talking about, you know, they were a company that raised a lot of money, I think raised too much money. And spent that money, you know, like a drunken sailor. And as a result, my job for the last year before I started probably or was really hitting the ground with probably was kind of cleaning that up, you know, finding ways to exploit or, you know, take advantage of profit centers and things like that. And we had the best success. But then, unfortunately, the people who were running the company just couldn't keep up with the bills and fell behind the various debts and things that they had had, the structures that weren't the most logical. That kind of forced me into the journey with probably a little bit faster where we were building this product behind the scenes for 18 months and then. Had to kind of roll it out before football season without even having our revenue generating products out there just to try to start, you know, soft shoeing, getting out to the people. You've touched on a few different themes there. All, all that resonate with me that are interesting to me. One of the themes relating to working for some startups that 
maybe raise too much capital. And as you allude to spending money, like drunk sailors, and obviously that was then this was now it's a different environment. The capital environment is very different. You also touch on working for some of the content companies, obviously Barstool and the experiences there and producing some great content, but the people producing the content, not necessarily themselves being winning betters. Look at a company now, like even, even better out of Miami, which produces some interesting content, but it's not necessarily geared to a sharp punter, maybe geared to more of the casual better. And then, then you've got your company, probably the way in which you approach your information and your content. So I guess maybe let's segue into that, but what was the inspiration? Like, what was the aha moment that it made sense to you to start this company of all these experiences? How did that combine to lead you to where you are? And then tell us about probably and what you do. So basically, you know, there was a couple of years ago, the Bengals Rams Super Bowl. I remember it pretty vividly because we had just moved to Pennsylvania. Uh, where my wife was at that point, I guess, seven months pregnant, eight months pregnant, somewhere around there, basically about to pop. And she had got some of those fan duel bonuses in Pennsylvania and was like, I want to get some good bets for the Super Bowl. What would you pick? So I kind of went through, I, I used Pinnacle's odds. I went through, it was like, okay, here's the probability for these bets. There's a mispriced line here for these three fan duel bets. She won all three. Obviously, I can't guarantee that for our product now, but it was one of those things where that got me thinking more about EV betting, which I always knew was a thing. And I came across Odds Jam, who now we're lucky to have as a data partner for probably but as a site doing very similar things, and I think for Oddsjam, created a really good tool in terms of like being up to the minute, in terms of also focusing on people winning money. That was sort of what got the idea going, was like, okay, Oddsjam's doing this. Can we do something different? Can we make it at least different enough to justify its existence in the marketplace? But it really comes down to like, I think Oddsjam is a fantastic tool. I know Benji's got some skin in the game for that. So see, that's what I'm going to say. That's what we're both going to say and agree on. But I also think with Oddsjam, it's definitely for sophisticated players, for somebody that is trading betting like a market, trading betting like, you know, like a stock market to some respects or the foreign exchange kind of things. Whereas I think what the goal for me was with building probably is like, how can I really, I, I would say dumb this down, but how can I simplify this enough that somebody like my wife or somebody like my grandmother or like somebody like that can really hop onto this app, get in a good bet. And obviously, you know, you're not going to hit that on the head as perfectly as I think you want as somebody, especially, you know, coming in with a certain amount of domain expertise. But I think we did try to land on a thing that uses the bells and whistles from social media and also then, you know, makes it easy just to get in a good bet with the goal of it being like my wife could do it. Anybody could do it. Anybody with a little bit of amount of experience could do it. But also like you could be at an African soccer game and you could use probably to get in the best bets at an African soccer game. And that's sort of our goal that we're trying to hit. Oh, so I just want to dumb it down a bit further for our audience when you say, you know, People can get in the bet. They're not betting on your app. Your app is information. It's a subscription product. So they're using your app, correct me if I'm wrong, to gave the insights and the information as relatively novice bettors or anywhere from novice to more advanced. And that will help guide them in making betting decisions. So have we got that part right? Yeah, the part of it is really, I, I feel like our product is giving the answers to the test. And there are some other apps out there that are a little more research focused. And you know, I think kind of give people the comfort of having data that, oh, you know, the last 10 games, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic is off the court, X, Y, and Z normally happens. His assist rate goes up, his usage goes up and all of that. But ultimately, you're finding things with those that are kind of already known quantities, the sports books that are pricing these things. So when you have an expected value betting company where we believe in our true probability as much as anybody's, but Odds Jam, same thing, Odds Shopper, same thing. You know, North Star, having that North Star of true probability is what I think profitable betting looks like. It's just taking advantage of mispriced lines or at least knowing going in that, hey, this bet doesn't have a high expected ROI. But it does have some utility because I think it fits the game theory of what works. I think that's sort of what we're hoping to be is like, this could be the kayak or the Kelly Blue Book of here's how this bet should be priced. And you take this bet if it's at this price. Well, is that your unique differentiator? Is that your simplified from some of the other subscription products in the marketplace? 
in terms of how you deliver them the information and help guide their betting decisions? And what is the secret sauce? How do you do that to accept that you're able to share that? So, I mean, I think our true probability data, and I don't really want to get in uh, any sort of measuring contest of what the best probability data is there out there is, because a lot of them I know, you know, again, I know these companies well. We're partnered with Odd Jam. Odd Shopper is uh, a syndicate of uh, the former people at Stochastic I used to work with. So, like, I know these sites, I know what they're putting in. And I think we've all done the work where it's like you do some amount of back testing, you have your baselines of, of, you know, odds that you trust, then you have other ones you can layer on top in terms of this market's the most winning in football, you know, props. This one's the most winning in terms of football money lines. Uh, this one, you could get even more granular and say this sports book wins the highest rate out of all the major sports books at touchdown props. This one wins more there. So that's what we try to do is we have a really good probability formula. But I would think our, our ease of use and the fact that it is very mobile forward, like we built this as a mobile product. It works on desktop as well. You can go to probably.com on your desktop and you'll get the same product, but it was meant to be taken with you. And I think that's sort of the part that we have where, you know, we took a lot of the TikTok and Instagram bells and whistles. We have fun, friendly gifts that make it a little more visually stimulating. So you're not just looking at that stock market sheet, but you are bringing it with you on the phone. And I think that's what we tried to build towards is like, we're trying to build for users that aren't really necessarily betting as much, even though we will have, I think, experienced users and some of the people that have won the most money are experienced betters off of us so far. But I think we wanted to make it so like anybody can get in, you know, obviously people of, of legal age. Of course, of course. When did you launch? Was it sometime this football season, correct? Yeah, we technically launched before NFL week one, but the product wasn't all the way there. It was just basically the probabilities and the live betting opportunities, but you couldn't sort and find the positive EV bets. You had to kind of just go through manually like a needle in a haystack. So we basically, we launched before NFL week one, like literally like right before NFL week one started. And then we launched our revenue products at the end of November. So I would say, I feel like our official launch is end of November, but yeah, Benji, you're the investor. So whatever's going to make it more favorable, I'm happy to spin it. Well, I guess now you're generating revenue, which is obviously positive and have a product in market. So congratulations on that. It's no, it's no shortage of a milestone to get a product from, from ground zero up into to live. And how do you think about product and how do you think about your customer base? Now have a V1 out in the marketplace, you're live, you're generating revenue. What type of interaction do you have with your clients to see what they like, what they don't like, how the product can be improved? And, you know, as you kind of forecast what this product might look like a year or two down the line, how different will it be from what it is today or how similar? I mean, I think it's going to be very different. We, we already talk about, we're right now going through the app store submission process, which has frankly been a little bit more of an anathema than I would have liked just because we built this a progressive web app because we were working with, you know, an international firm initially on some of our Figma designs and trying to make that look good. And they pushed us towards a PWA for the globalization of it. What we didn't realize is how much it wasn't quite as simple of like you put some Swift code on a progressive web app. It works in the app store. So that's been kind of the first haul we're going through. Once we do get approved, though, we're going to really aggressively start to iterate based off what we know. I think the pain point for us, you know, just to be candid about it is like people are buying subs from probably right now are people that have been in my content ecosystem, people that follow my, my fantasy football podcast, Splash, like people that followed me from uh, my stochastic slash Osmo days. So I think there's a bit of a self-selecting thing where they trust me. And as a result, they're coming in eyes wide open, willing to give it a shot. Whereas I think the people that are newer to the ecosystem, like I haven't even been able to get really great feedback from them yet because they're like, oh, it looks cool. Like I'm going to play with it. I'll get back to you. So I think that's been sort of the pain point is like, I am actually individually reaching out to each person because I want to have, I want to build that kind of company where it's like, we care about the customer. We want them to be here. We don't do CPAs for sports books. We want to be aligned with the customer experience it being the thing that makes us money. And I think because we have the self-selecting group of people that were on our wait list, people that follow me, I think that I'm not getting the best peer feedback right now because they're winning, they're happy, but could it be better? I think so. So we're going to just keep trying to guess and trying to figure based upon how I view things, what we can iterate and what we can improve. 
obviously it's great that you're having feedback with some of your customers and trying to gain feedback from others. At the same time, you know, you want to get to a point where you scale this thing that you can't possibly speak to everyone because you just have too many people in the ecosystem. And how do you sort of view that journey from having launched this thing two months ago or whenever it was to achieving scale? Like what is the customer acquisition strategy? Obviously, you're early on in your journey. You, you don't, no one expects you to be there yet. But how do you think about acquiring users, achieving a deliverable, and that will be at scale? Yeah, I think you know the content stuff is a big part to me. Obviously, coming from a bar stool, coming from even Osmo and Stochastic, like these are companies that they have the data, they have the tools, or they have whatever they're selling is premium. Obviously, Barstool's not selling data or tools, but they are selling the attachment to the brand. They sell their own kind of pay per views and things like that. How they go along with that. For Stochastic, though, what they do is like they have affiliates now, but initially they started entirely as like, here's our own YouTube channel. That was a part of what I had a, a big hand in terms of growing. It was like, we created a YouTube channel, we created a website. Let's use organic SEO and just being here every day at these key touch points for consumers to build our audience and get affiliates in or to get referrals in rather, uh, not relying on affiliates. For me, I'd like to be able to do both, but I do believe a lot in like you have to have your own sort of brand and what it is because right now our team is so small. It's just me and my, and our CTO is one of my best friends since high school is formerly of Amazon and a bunch of other big uh, companies out there. Like right now, it's, we're trying to build that up and build a platform because we think having the platform will both add value to the company itself as well as give us a conversion funnel where we're going to have affiliates, but I don't want to just rely on affiliates to convert for us. We kind of have to do it for ourselves and get out there and be creative and be aggressive about being on TikTok, being on Instagram, trying to be savvy about the things we're posting and playing to the shorts and those kind of things. So I think that's where we have an advantage, but honestly, it's all growth. Like some people out there might listening might know, it's like if you put up a YouTube channel, you put up a TikTok, you're talking months of trying to get that algorithm where it needs to be referring people meaningfully. So that's where we are. That's what we're trying to figure out right now is to get that you know, to get the flywheel working about as well as possible in terms of content and creating our own referrals. So alongside content creation and adjusting that flywheel to maximize referrals that you can build your business upon, you just touched upon kind of affiliate and subscription. And, and I know that your business has a subscription model to it. It's users that come to your business uh, or can come to your app can initially play, you know, sign up for free and obtain some information. And then of course, there's layers of subscription where they can obtain more and more information. And as you provide them with this content and this data that will help them become sharper betters and help them win their bets. Alongside that, you talk about affiliates. So how do you think about marrying the two together? Subscription where for lack of a better phrase, you're helping your subscribers beat the book and affiliate where you're sending those subscribers and or non-subscribers to those same books to generate share revenue for yourself. How do you think about that dynamic and the dichotomy and how the two get managed together? To clarify for affiliates, we're talking about us having our own affiliate. Like our first client or our first client, our first partner is a newsletter called Legit Football that I think has done a really good job. They've been building. I've, I've known the guy actually. It's founded by a husband of a person I used to work with at bankrate.com, really very smart a credit card reporter then who now works at, I believe, Pinterest or Facebook, one of the two. But point being like, it's a newsletter with like 30,000 subscribers that is football focused. Like they deliver emails daily that are very football minded. And I think that's what we're trying to find in terms of our affiliates to promote us out there are the ones that are not necessarily have their own product that have their own thing. We're trying to find people that are going to hit audiences where people who have an awareness of betting, people who have a knowledge of betting even, but they don't have a way to win money because they, they might feel like it's you know too hard to win money. I think it's part of it. I think what we want to do is find people like that where you're already a football fan. And I think our product in particular really lends itself to 
you know, a lot of people place bets off. I want to root for Baker Mayfield in this game. I want to root for Jalen Hurts in this game. In reality, what you should be doing is the bets. This is a really good bet to take on Baker Mayfield. So you end up rooting for Baker Mayfield because you took the good bet. And I think that's where we're trying to find things, both in terms of our partners and our approach. But obviously, you know, we'll see your mileage may vary because that seems to be not the way that everything is going into Sherwood. Yeah, you're a period of time into this now and you come from, I don't want to say you come from the space because you did things both outside the space as well as in our space, but obviously you have a good grip on having worked with some interesting content companies and other startups. So you've gotten to see a bit about what you like and what you don't like. How did you kind of morph those experiences and take the gig from various companies you've worked with? And how does that kind of play into your strategy as a startup founder in the space today? It's hard because honestly, like there are people who I've worked with in the past who like are now the people on social media who are on Twitter slash X posting the the best bet threads and saying, here's my goat play of the day. Here's my lock play of the day. And as somebody that comes in, having again, done the diligence, having done the years uh, with the Osmo and Stochastic guys, where it's all a game of probabilities. That's why the company is in part called probably. But ultimately, it, it's hard to balance that because this is actually a conversation I had uh, with a potential investor at one point who might still cut us a check at some point. But one of the initial slogans I'd had for probably to try to differentiate us was, was lose less. And it's like, okay, like ultimately that might be accurate. Like if you're using probably data, you're going to lose less bets, whether you're taking our bets or not, or you're just looking at it and going, oh, this is a minus EV bet tonight on this prop. I shouldn't take it. But in reality, you can't say lose less as a marketing hook. It has to be like win more and lose less. And that's where the product becomes different. And I think that's been the pain point for me as I approach this very honestly, I, with every piece of content I do. I want to show people the work. I want to show them where I'm coming from, how I land on this point. What are the data points that support it? And in reality, a lot of things out there are just, here's my lock play. I'm five and no on prize picks in the last five days. And it's like, well, man, like that's not going to carry on forever. But also, I don't think that's how you win. And I think that's the pain point for me is like, you know too much and, you're, and it almost kind of inhibits you. Yeah. So look, obviously you're a very hands-on entrepreneur. I, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk in terms of your journey, it's obviously a difficult market out there for all startups. And then for that matter, for all companies, the cost of capital is expensive. There's no shortage of podcasts that I appear on where we talk about the difficulty in raising capital today. Yet here you are and you're, you know, you've got a product in markets and you're throwing punches and moving forward. You know, how do you think about it? I know you're raising capital now. So how do you think about that experience? what your expectations were as it pertains to raising capital versus what reality is that you're finding. And just that overall piece of the journey as it pertains to the necessity as someone who's been bootstrapping and also raising capital and how you marry those two dynamics. It's honestly been hard. You know, the bootstrapping was the thing where I was kind of comfortable going on a certain trajectory. And then uh, because of the issues of football outsiders I had to kind of hustle things a little bit more. The pain point to me has been that this entire investment industry has shifted from the time period where April of 2022 was when we were first kind of working through, all right, how does this work on the back end? Like, what do we do? Like, how we're we getting data from kind of going through the thought exercise of it before we actually started building. And then from that time period, and Angie, you might feel differently about it, but I feel like in that April of 2022, it was like, you have an idea, maybe you have a Figma, maybe an MVP at a max. And it's like, you're getting a check off of that. And I think over the time period of that year and a half of us developing, that entire landscape shifted. And now you have to be sort of prove that you're a self-sufficient company and that you could bootstrap if you wanted to. You'd rather take an institutional investment or you know a series of angels or whatever to get where you want to go. And I think that's sort of a, a tough thing to navigate when you wanted to build. And I think what we did, we built a really premium product. But in hindsight, I wish we had built like a lower five version where 
know, we have to pay Avjam every month. We have really intensive Amazon web services, things that go on in terms of the, the writing and rewriting and the automatic processing of it, that I think we built something that's a little ambitious for the current investment landscape. And we should have built something, honestly, should have just built like a prize picks optimizer in hindsight. But the reality is we built what we built and I believe a lot in what we built. So now it's a matter of like, you know, basically going door to door for both investors and for clients or potential customers and going, hey, we have this thing that we believe is a cure for cancer in the betting industry and like what we believe can get you on the right path and then trying to sell them on it. And we've been able to get a lot of good meetings, been able to meet a lot of good people, including Benji and, you know, and other people out there, either through network or just me trying to be a bulldog and go after him and get up the meetings. But I think my sense is that there aren't a lot of checks floating around. And if there are checks, it's like, okay, cool. I talked to you six months ago. I now see you built this and now you're making 100K in annualized revenue. So now I'm a little more like, I get it. You've kind of proven through. So I'm hoping that's where we get to, but we're basically building right now to try to be self-sustainable and then whatever that means. And then we're going to try to keep doing that. And that, the hope is that these connections we've made will be a thing that then leads to that check or series of checks coming in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's a tough landscape for sure. And, you know, outside of just the capital piece and bringing in capital, you know, what are the things that either have surprised you or not surprised you, you know, both sides of that dynamic? What has transpired thus far in your journey as an entrepreneur in our, in our space that is kind of what you thought it would be? And what has surprised you? Like, what are you looking at both sides of that coin? I think what was, I thought it would be is that people have been very kind and receptive to like my personal domain expertise and understanding. And I think too, there's a thing, I know Benji, you and I had this when we first connected too, where it's like, you have that initial conversation. It's like, okay, this person's sharp, I'm sharp. So now we can talk in a different wavelength. I think that there is sort of a, a different way of that that goes on in betting where some people, you know, I think are not native bettors, or if they are, they're, you know, they're learning it as they go and they're kind of coming there. And I think that's been the part that I expected is like, there is sort of a, a sniff test right away. If you pass that sniff test, I think that's how you build relationships a little bit more and go there. Um, I think what's, what's different is that just, again, to be candid, I'm not going to try to throw anybody in the bus here because it's not that kind of conversation, but like had a meeting with one potential investor, or I guess an investor of VC firms, person who was like the point person to say, we go ahead or we don't. And the person in that meeting had a, a lovely talk, like listened to you or heard me out, whatever. And they're like, I think this is a hundred million dollar company. I don't think it's a billion dollar company. And that one hurt because it's like, Hey, great. I agree. I think we had a hundred million dollar company, but to have that be a, a disqualifier, I think is tough. And I get, you know, I know the math of it. Um, I've talked to people who are like very experienced in the VC space. We have a, a capital advisor technically. So like, I get why, you know, a VC is looking for that billion dollar exit. Cause that helps you prop up, you know, 10 other ones that might not get there. But I think for us in particular, and especially with how we view things where we are, I think at heart, kind of an altruistic attempt at a product that's still a for profit company. But I think for us, that's been the pain point is like, you have to really sell people on the unit economics as well as the potential to scale in a way where it's like you could make a product that makes all the difference in the world. We could save people that billion dollars a year in terms of Americans' losses in betting. And I don't know that that actually makes the math make sense for like a, a really big VC looking for that supersized exit. Yeah, no disrespect to ever that VC was, but as someone who has kind of built and sold a business in the space and has involved it with a fair number of companies... I would argue there's certainly nothing wrong with a $100 million exit. I would it's a pretty good North Star. Yeah, it's a pretty good North Star. I would say so. Um, I know that you're, you know, you're not a one-man man. You do a lot of the work on your own, but you're a team. There's two of you and some folks helping on the IT side. And maybe talk a little bit about that and your partner and how you kind of the division of tasks in your partnership. Yes, yeah, so my partner is, again, one of my best friends from high school for those people out there, because there's always people who... I uh, know my high school, Horace Mann in Riverdale. It's one of the, the top schools in the country. A lot of great New York lawyers and bankers from there who definitely have actually people with the money, ironically enough. But yeah, we were best friends some, since then, basically been best friends since like I, we were both 14. Then he was working at Macy's after being at Amazon, being at Cabbage, who got acquired by Amex. He was at Macy's 
And, you know, and Macy's was, I think, a tough culture, like very much a stodgy department store where if you're an IT guy there, you're kind of getting worked pretty hard and maybe chasing your tail a lot. And we were both talking about things and like he, I think, was frustrated with the situation. I could kind of see some cause for concern with the job at Football Outsiders. So we decided to keep building and, and we both kept our jobs for basically, I guess, a year and two months of, of building and, and trying to keep them both going. And we both made the leap in the fall to go full time, obviously, not the revenue to support that, but with both of us having a little bit of a war chest to try to go after it. So that's where it's been right now. And it, it's been good. Like, I think having somebody who you trust like a brother, like he's literally my CTO, Edgar is the godfather to my son. He is about as close to a brother as I have as we're both only children. So that's been a positive. But, you know, the hard part is that, like, he's only one man and I can't code. Like, I used to be able to code a WordPress site in PHP. Besides that, I don't know how to build a React app with the level of intricacy we have. So a lot of the brunt falls on him, whereas for the content, for the fundraising, for the promotional side, all of that falls on me. And it's been a good separation of church and state, but can also be, like, somewhat isolating in that respect because you have your domain. And if your domain isn't succeeding, it's like it's on you. Got it. Okay, so we're kind of nearing the finish line here. I think my closing question, it would be if we fast forward two, three, five years down the line, where do you think probably is going to be? Where would you like it to be? And what would success look like to you in this in this journey? I mean, I guess I shouldn't separate what I would like it to be versus what it's going to be because we're, we're wish casting here on the Betting Startups podcast. But I would say for me, you know, the hope is to have some level of ubiquity. Like we really feel like we built a brand, trademark brand that I think hopefully gets us a little bit out of the ghetto of, of everything being bet blank or, you know, like I think that's the hope is that we can build a more mainstream focused product and be a part of that tide of people of the casual betters coming in, but also the sharp betters that are just like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing now. The industry's changing. I can't keep up. Can I just get in some good bets and make that happen? I, I would hope that's where we are. And I also would love us to see us, you know, be partnered with broadcast networks to have them cite our data and say it as like a, a source of truth that, hey, these top markets around the world believe there's a 55% probability that today Baker Mayfield is going to go for 280 yards. That's probably a aggressive prop for Baker Mayfield. But the point would be that like, that's what I want to be is I want us to be a thing that people look at, they trust, they don't ask questions about the data. They just know that we're doing the right thing to service it. And I would say also the biggest test of success for us is going to be, did we help people win more money or at least like lose less? And ultimately the goal has been, can we shave $1 billion off of the, the 12 to 14 billion people are going to lose in the US? I would like to be able to say we could do that in five years. I don't know, but you know, I think that's sort of the goal is like get, getting people better at this. Yeah. Lost the goals for sure. For people listening to the podcast. You know, you alluded to some of these broadcast partners. I'm not sure how many of the broadcasters listen in, but folks in the industry do. People that want to get in touch with you, partnership, investments, or anything else that they want to discuss under the sun. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you really quickly? Always happy to take an email, chris at probably.com. All of our content, probably app, uh, P-R-O-B-L-Y-A-P-P. But yeah, just get in touch with me. I'm always happy to hear from anybody. Partnerships, I've had some good success hearing from people when we had a few PR hits early, so... I definitely appreciate everybody's taking the time to listen, even though I know Benji's the big draw here. I've seen the LinkedIn post, Benji. I know you're getting all the likes when when these episodes are going up. No, no disrespect to Jesse, of course, but I'm happy to ride in your coattail. So if anybody wants to come along, because Benji said we're great, you know, I think you could say we're great. Well, there you have it. And I have no doubt that you're standing on your own two feet here with or without my assistance in terms of saying that I like what you guys are doing, like what you're building, like the trajectory that you're on. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Jesse, thank you for having us. I'll hopefully be guest sitting in with a couple of others in the near future, and we'll close it up there and see everyone soon. Awesome. Thank you, Benji. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Talk soon. The Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. 
Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card.